You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll be continuing in 1 Timothy. We'll be in verses 13 through 16 today, and we're going to talk about the care of widows. Now, if you're like me and you think about that subject, you're thinking to yourself, I wonder how this is going to apply to me. I have to scratch my head a little bit. We're not in a position uh, like the early church was where we're uh, setting up tables and providing meals for our widows uh, every morning or every day. But there are some very important uh, principles that apply to us that will help us to grow in our Christian life, be more like Jesus. Uh, We're going to look at five principles. We're also going to look at uh, some applications of how the church was doing ministry and how that applies to us at Galveston Bible Church. So let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. We'll take the second part, verses 9 through 16, separately. 1 Timothy is about three-fourths of the way through the New Testament. It says in verse 3, Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed, and desolate, trusteth in God, and continueth supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge, that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word today, we thank you that you have preserved it for us, uh, that your Holy Spirit is using it and will use it as a tool to convey your truth to us. We thank you, Father, that um, you have sacrificed so much so that we can have a relationship with you and we pray that that reality will be with us present here today. We thank you for Galveston Bible Church. We pray that the things that we read here will help us to better serve one another and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Why is Paul giving instructions to Timothy specifically about widows? The general purpose of this letter is so that Timothy would know how to conduct himself in the church what the church should be doing. So what is this about widows? Well, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that uh, the church always took care of widows because widows were very much at risk in that culture. If your husband died and you didn't have children or close family to take care of you, you could very quickly become a homeless beggar. 
So it was normal for widows to be in need. That was the norm. The widows were in need, and the church always helped them. Um, so what does it mean to honor widows? Well, as we'll see, the word honor means more than just to show respect. It can also mean to provide for, to support. Let's look uh, first at Acts chapter 6. This is the first time we have a record of the church and widows in Acts chapter 6. If you remember the story, this is when the seven were appointed to take care of the widows. We're, we're calling them deacons although they weren't called that in Acts chapter 6, necessarily. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And we'll see here what the church was doing. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. When the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And that's as much of the story as we're going to read right now. It tells us two things. This was a daily service that they did for the widows. They provided food for them because it talks about serving tables. They provided food for the widows on a daily basis. And so the, this was when the church was brand new. Um, the disciples, the number of the disciples, it says, were just multiplying. Um, so from the very beginning, the church took it upon itself to minister and serve and support its widows. So we'll see the meaning of honor again when Paul says to honor widows who are widows indeed. Um, when we look at elders because it also says to honor elders. And the word, although it can mean just respect, it can mean that we're going to respect them. The English word that we still use called honorarium, what does that mean? That means that we invite somebody to say, speak at an event, and we give them an honorarium. Now what is that? Well. It's probably money, but it's not wages as such, and it's not a gift as such. It's to honor them for the service that they provided to us. So we still use the word in that sense. And that's what Paul is instructing Timothy to do for the widows, support the widows. So after he's told that, though, in verse 4, there's a but. But if a widow has children or nephews, which means descendants in the Old English that I read, if, he, if the widow has descendants, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they are to show godliness at home by repaying their parents. Because we owe our parents, even if they weren't very good parents, even if they weren't Christian parents, they brought us into this world and we owe them. So Paul says... If a widow has children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they, and they have the means, they should support um, their family.
And he says this is pleasing to God. So why, does, why do we think this is pleasing to God? Well, the fifth commandment. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. When Moses here is recounting the commandments for the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16 he says honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee so this is why it pleases God God has commanded us to honor our father and our mother so if these widows have children, have grandchildren. Paul's saying, no, let them support their family. And then the church will support the widows who are widows indeed. Which widows indeed means that they are totally alone. Uh, they have no support. They have no family to take care of them. She doesn't have descendants. Um, that are there or that are able to help her. So that's the first part of what is a widow indeed. The, one, the widows that are to be helped. The first part of the definition is they don't have any family support. The second part of the definition in verse 5 is that a widow indeed also has these characteristics. They, she trusts God. She pers persists in prayer day and night. So she's in desperate need, and she's trusting God to meet that need. She's a godly woman. Um, and that is the second part of who constitutes a widow that the church should support. The church should support a widow who is alone, who doesn't have any other resources, and who is trusting God and praying to God for her needs. That word supplication there just literally means to beg for something that you really need. And praying there is talking about worshiping God. We have a contrast to that in verse 6, where he says, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Now what's that about? It's a contrast with the godly widow. Okay? First, um, this is a, a, a widow who is self-indulgent. And she obviously has the means. She doesn't have a need like the widow we talked about uh, in verse 1. She has the means, but having the means, she's also self-indulgent. She's not trusting God. She's not uh, looking for God. She's not praying to God. She's meeting her own needs. Uh, in Adam Clark's commentary, uh, he says in secular Greek, this same word uh, could mean like a spoiled child, acting like a spoiled child. So this is the contrast. The second type of widow, the church is not to support. She has means, and she's self-indulgent, and this is not the type of godly woman that the church needs to support. So Timothy is told 
that he must declare or command these things so they may be blameless. Who's they? I think it's both the widows and their children who need to support them. So we've seen this word blameless before. If you remember back in chapter 3, talking about the elders, they were to be blameless, which means above reproach. So what it really means is that there's nothing anybody can come to you and say, oh, I thought you said you were a Christian. Look at this, what you're doing. That's not Christian. We're to be above that. We're to be blameless, above reproach. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here, that you need to tell these things to the widows, to their families, so that nobody has any reason to call into question their faith in Jesus. In fact, he says in verse 8 of 1 Timothy, which I am not in right now, he says in verse 8, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. He's worse than an unbeliever if he doesn't provide for his own family. So that's the opposite of being blameless, right? Being blameless, nobody has anything to accuse you of that would contradict your profession of faith in Jesus. Well, if you don't provide for your own family, you're actually denying your own faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. So that's why Paul wants Timothy to teach the people this. So let's look at the principles that we've seen in this section. We've got basically five principles that I'm going to mention. First, the principle that we as Galveston Bible Church are to take care of our people. Now, we aren't feeding widows right now. Hopefully we won't have to. But there are lots of ways that we need to take care of one another. Um, it could be financially. It could be that someone has a need that we need to help them financially. It could be serving them in ministering to them through whatever gifts the Holy Spirit has given you. It could be that if a brother or sister is quarantined for this uh, coronavirus, that you know we need to take them a meal, we need to call them and see how they're doing, we need to... Uh, bring them something if they need it. Uh, whatever needs there are, those are the things that we need to be looking for in order to honor them and serve them. And even like we saw last week, uh, even confronting our brothers and sisters at times is serving them and honoring them. If they have a blind spot, if they've committed a sin, if they have um, done something to offend, uh, Confronting them is a way to serve them. So that's the first principle. We're to take care of our people. Second principle is we're to take care of our own family. Now, you wouldn't think that Paul will even have to mention this among Christians in a church, that we're to take care of our family. You wouldn't think that you would have to mention it. But he mentions it in verse 4, in verse 8, and in verse 16 he mentions it three times. So obviously he thinks it's important. And God thinks it's important or it wouldn't have made it into this letter. 
So we're all sinners. Um, Christians can be selfish. Christians can be greedy. Um, in fact, at all time, you know, any time we could see this in our own lives where we're greedy or where we're selfish. So Paul says three times here in this section that we're to take care of our family. In verse 16, he says, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them who are widows indeed. And this is also something that Jesus addressed uh, with the religious leaders of his day. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We'll read verses 10 through 12. Jesus is speaking here. He says, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, or let him die the death. No. Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, talking to the religious leaders, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is korban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father and his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. So what they did was, the fifth commandment says to honor your father and your mother, and they realized that that meant to meet their financial needs at times. It can mean other things, but at times it means meet their financial needs. So what did they do? They made a loophole for the fifth commandment. They said, okay, if this money is dedicated to God, then we can't give it to our parents because it's already dedicated to God. And that's pretty religious, right? That's pretty good. That's really holy except it violates the fifth commandment, and that's what Jesus said. No, that's not right. You're disobeying the commandment by your own tradition. So all of our hearts can be sinful. All of our hearts can be greedy. All of our hearts can be selfish. But we're instructed to meet the needs of our parents. And it might not be an issue of money. It might be an issue of time. We might need to go and visit them. We might need to call them. We might need to do other errands for them. Um, it might not be money, but it might be taking time out of our schedule to help them. So that's the second principle, take care of our family. Third principle, the principle that we can deny our faith by our actions. And we saw this because Paul said, if you don't, Take care of your own family. You're denying the faith, and you're worse than an unbeliever. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3. John also talks about this in 1 John. First John, again, has listed several ways that we can know that we are Christians. 
One of those ways that we talked about is if we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Another way here in 1 John 3, 17 through 19, John says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. So John is telling us there that if we see that our brother or sister in Christ has a need, like these widows, they had a need, and we refuse to meet that need. Or like James says, we say, I'll pray for you, brother. And we don't do anything to help them. John says, what reason do you have to believe that you're even a Christian? Our assurance of being a Christian is if we see the characteristics, the, the qualities of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit coming out in our life. If we don't see that, it doesn't matter what you did when you were a kid, walked down an aisle, prayed a prayer, all that stuff. If you don't see the fruit in your life right now, you have no reason to believe you're a Christian. That's what gives us assurance of our salvation, is our current relationship with God and His working in our life. And John repeats that several different ways. So, third principle is that we can deny our faith by our actions. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul addresses this also in a different way. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Paul's here talking about things that will not come into heaven. starts in verse 9 and says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul gives a list here, not an exhaustive list, but a list of sins people who are characterized by that sin. And he says, these people are not coming into God's kingdom. So what does that mean? Does that mean if we're good, and we don't have these sins, that that's how we get into God's kingdom? No, that's not true. These sins will keep us out of God's kingdom, but we cannot get into God's kingdom just by not doing some bad things. God does not have a scale where he weighs our good things that we do against our bad things, and if it tips in our favor, then we're in. That's not how it is. That's not in the Bible. God does not grade on a curve where if you're, you know, in the top 
uh, 60%, then you pass, whatever that is. What does it say here in verse 11? And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are, just, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And that's how we get to heaven. That's how we have a relationship with God. The Lord Jesus came to pay for our sins. He became a man. He suffered the life of a man. He was cruelly treated, rejected, tortured to death on the cross. And on the, on the cross, God poured out his wrath on his son Jesus instead of on us to pay for our sins. And we are saved if we trust in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus alone. We're justified, we're sanctified, we're washed. So is that you? Is that you? Because Paul says here, doesn't matter what you did. You, this, this was some of you, you Corinthians, before you became a Christian. This is what you were doing. But now, you're in Christ and you're on your way to heaven. So that's our third principle, that we can deny our faith by our actions. Fourth, the principle that we are to be dependent upon God rather than self-indulgent. We saw the example of the two widows. One was dependent on God, another was self-indulgent. So what does it look like for us to be self-indulgent? Well, primarily, I think it, it's that we're focused on the world and ourselves and how much we can get of it. Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. Jesus gave a parable here in Luke chapter 12 of a man that I think was, you could describe as being self-indulgent. Luke 12, 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now being rich toward God doesn't mean that you're going to give God money necessarily. That can be true. Being rich towards God means that you're giving yourself to God. You're giving him you and everything that is yours. Again in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, 
the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So if we find ourselves focusing on the world and the things in the world, and how to have the things in the world, how to enjoy the things in the world, if we find ourselves focusing on that, then we are the self-indulgent widow. We're not the godly widow who's trusting God. We have to live in this world. There's no getting around that. But we have to live in this world as those that are passing through. This is not our home. So that's the fourth principle, that we're to be dependent upon God rather than self-indulgent. Fifth principle, that we are to be blameless or above reproach. And we talked about this. There's nothing anybody can say, I thought you were a Christian. Now look what you're doing. That's not Christian. And this is a higher bar than the principle of just what we do denying our faith. This can be something as simple as a lustful look, a mean word, a selfish attitude, a post on social media, any of these things can give people a reason to say, I thought you were a Christian. It doesn't look like you are. So that's a higher bar. But that's the bar that uh, God has set for us. That's why Paul told Timothy, let people know about this, teach them this, so that they will be blameless. So that's the fifth principle, blameless or above reproach. So we've seen the principle that we as Galveston Bible Church are to take care of our people. We are to take care of our own families. The principle that we can deny our faith by our actions. The principle that we are to be dependent upon God rather than self-indulgent. And the principle that we are to be blameless or above reproach. If we engage in those areas, if we think about these things, we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, that will help us be more like Jesus. So let's move on to verses 9 through 15. Now I did these separately because I think we've got something else a little different going on in verses 9 through 16. Let me get back to 1 Timothy here. And we'll read... First uh, Timothy 5, 9 to 16. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have re relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. 
for some have already turned after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Okay, so when I read this and looked at it a little more carefully, <clears throat> I found some problems that I did not understand in this passage. First, it introduces some new qualifications for these widows, which would seem to exclude most of the widows that actually needed help. They have to be at least 60 years old, it says. They have to have brought up children. And there are other qualifications of the good works that they have to have done. So what about new converts? Like we saw in Acts chapter 6. Those kind of people wouldn't have this track record of good works, of a lifetime of good works that they're talking about here. Um, what about widows under 60? who haven't remarried. Are they supposed to beg or go hungry until they get remarried? Or until they're 60? What about the widows who are 60, but they, for example, haven't raised children? And what's this thing about getting remarried? The enrolled widows are said to incur condemnation if they marry, having abandoned their former faith. But the younger widows are encouraged to marry. And that's anybody under 60. They're encouraged to marry. But the reason for only enrolling the older widows is that the younger ones will get married. But the younger widows are encouraged to get married. And what about the seemingly clear uh, description of who is a widow indeed that you should support in this first section? in verses 3 through 8. That's pretty clear. Um, if this is a godly woman, she's alone, she has no support, and she's trusting God, you're to support. But now, we introduce all these other qualifications. Does this mean that they have to meet these in addition to those? So I think that in order to understand how this all fits together, we have to understand what is meant by being taken into the number or enrolled. I'm going to give a disclaimer here, as I sometimes do. Uh, you may not agree with my take on this section, and, and that's fine. I only found one commentator who did agree with me. So if, if you uh, don't agree with Matthew Henry and me, that's fine. You're in good company. A lot of people don't. But this interpretation seems to answer the problems that I see here. So I've come to the conclusion that what Paul is talking about in verse 9 is different, but parallel to what he's talking about in the first section. So these widows he's talking about in verse 9 are supported by the church, just like the widows in the first part. But what's happening in these verses is that they've been enrolled in a ministry of the church. The church has selected them to represent them in ministry. So, all the true widows indeed, described in verses 1 through 6 above, are to be honored and supported by the church. And these enrolled widows receive the same support, but they've made this additional commitment of not getting married again. 
That's why it says if they go back and they get married, they'll have condemnation. Their conscience is going to condemn them because they have committed to this ministry of serving the church as an unmarried widow. And this goes along with what Paul teaches regarding singleness and marriedness. If we want to look at that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul addresses this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we'll look at verses 32 through 35. Now here he's talking specifically about people getting married for the first time, but it would also imply, apply to widows getting remarried, I think. It says in verse 32, But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of this world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But he goes on to say there's certainly nothing wrong with getting married, if you want to get married, that's fine. But if you don't feel the need to get married, that allows you more time to serve God. And I think that's the commitment that these older 60-year-old widows have made, that they will take on this ministry in a full-time way without the overhead of having a husband or family to take care of. So what would their service be? What would they do? If the church indeed is selecting them for a special service, what would it be? Well, I think it'd be along the lines of Titus chapter 2, verses 3, three through 5. Titus is a parallel letter with 1 Timothy, another young man that Paul is encouraging as he works in the church. Titus chapter 2, verse 3, says the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Here we have again the idea of the reputation of the gospel. We don't want the reputation of the gospel to come into disrepute because of the behavior of our church. And so what Paul says here is that the, all of the aged women, he's not talking about any particular ones here, all of the older women are to help out the younger women in ways that they need help. So how does this interpretation answer the questions that we saw when we read through here? Uh, it explains 
first of all, why the older widows, if they went back and decided to become married, which Paul is encouraging the other widows to do, if they want to, why they would be condemned. Because they will have gone back on a commitment they made uh, to serve God. And any time we go back on our conscience, against our conscience, and we violate a commitment we have made, we are, as Paul says here, turning after Satan. God has given us a conscience. Um, we are not to make other people go by what we believe in our conscience. But if we're going against our own conscience, there's a good chance that we're veering off to follow Satan. So this explains why those 16 above are allowed to be enrolled only. They would be less tempted to go back on their promise and get married. Paul graphically portrays the reality of the potential problems that younger women might face. Um, they're more likely to want to get remarried and so have to go back on their commitment. And since they're being supported by the church and their time is their own and having more energy and less experience than the older women, they might be more likely to get into trouble. And just to be clear, I did not write this. This is in the Bible. It says in verse 13, I think the apostle is speaking from experience here when he says, and withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So for that reason, the church is going to engage these older women to represent the church in this ministry uh, to the other women in the church. It also explains the apparent contradiction uh, between the first part that we read about supporting everyone who's a widow indeed, including new converts, younger widows, others who may not qualify for this specific enrollment that's described here. Um, it, it explains the other qualifications. If this person is representing you in ministry, you're going to require more qualifications than if you're just going to feed them a meal, right? So that's why the additional qualifications. It explains their commitment to remain unmarried. And as we've seen, it explains the contradiction about the widows being condemned if they decide to remarry. So I think what we see in verses 9 to 15 is that these enrolled widows have committed to remain single, to minister on behalf of the church, and I would call them women's workers. They don't have a title in the Bible. I'm making that up. Um, but they've been chosen by the church and they have agreed that they will do this on behalf of the church. That's my interpretation. I'm sticking to it. It's certainly not the only one and I would encourage you to look into yourself and see what you think about this passage. Come to your own conclusions. However, if the church did engage some qualified widows for basically full-time ministry as women's workers, what does that mean for us as individual Christians and for us as Galveston Bible Church? First, it highlights the importance of the role of women in the church. Now today we might be tempted to downplay the importance of women in the church because right now we're fighting a battle for the truth that God has given unique and complementary roles to men and women in the church. They are not the same. They do not all, they're not all able to hold the same offices or do the same things. And that's something that is uh, 
under attack right now, and we're defending that, and we should. But that does not mean that we should minimize the role of women's ministry in the church. Um, the church has always relied on godly women to teach, mentor, and disciple other women. So that's first. Second, it should encourage us for look the ways to grow our women's ministry at Galveston Bible Church and do more of the discipleship and mentoring as described in Titus chapter 2. Elders, by nature, have some practical limitations in their capacity to help women. They have been gifted in preaching, teaching, and shepherding ministry, which is a primary gift that allows us as a church to mature and to grow and to uh, become faithful to Christ. And I'm not going to downplay that at all. That is important, and that is just as effective for women as it is for men, the ministry of the elders in preaching, teaching, and shepherding. However, individual discipleship of women is going to be done by women. Uh, that's the only way to do it. Teaching, one-on-one -on -one counseling, individual struggles like with relationship, children, marriage, walking with the Lord, all these require godly women to minister to other women. So what's our takeaway from this passage? From the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy concerning care of widows. I would say, first of all, we're to honor and support our own families and our church family. There's no question, regardless of what interpretation you take, Paul is telling Timothy, support those who need help and support your own families. That's first. Second is I think we need to recognize the importance of women's ministry in the church and in Galveston Bible Church. If this was something that uh, these women were committing to do, they were committing to remain unmarried and serve the church in this way. What should that tell us? That should tell us that is very important for our church. The having ministry among women. And we have great women's ministry now. I'm not saying that we don't. We have Bible studies. We have life group. We have individual one-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship going on. And that's good. And that's necessary. And we need more of it. We don't need a program. What we need is people who are committed to serving God by investing in the lives of other people. And that goes for men and women. So this week... I hope you'll join me in asking the Lord how we can do this better, how we can better serve our family, how we can better serve our church family, and how we can better serve the women in Galveston Bible Church through women's ministry. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your word. We thank you for the salvation that you have given us. We pray that you would help us to trust in Christ alone not in our own good deeds and good works, but in the work of Jesus Christ and his payment for our sins on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you are holy, you are good, you are all-powerful, and you've shown your love for us in such a great way. We ask as we go about our lives this week that we would consider 
how we can better care for one another, for our families, and for women in Galveston Bible Church. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.